Mulweeny, hello. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Perspective. Thank you for joining us today. I have a very special guest, a friend that I made a few years ago, and a guy who's been uh, who spent some time trying to get me to be faster, run faster. Um, but he gave up after only uh, 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you saw that I won't be able to um, to beat the Usain Bolt record. So he's like, no, okay, let, let's let it go. Anyway, what a long intro. Llewellyn Morkel, thank you, buddy. Thank you for joining me. No, thank you for having me, Francois. <laughs> All right. So my first question is an easy one. Uh, what is it that you do? Um, I am a strength and conditioning coach. I work at the Stellenbosch University in their HP unit. Um, and it was a new role that I started actually on the 1st of April, so in lockdown. Uh, it's been an interesting start to a new job, but it's <laughs> just new perspective, new challenge. Um, yeah, I, I like to think of myself as a facilitator. I facilitate human performance. Yeah. Oh, wow, I like that. Why do you put it that way? Because I'm not, I'm not creating the performance. It's something that's there. It's you kind of, you allow, or not allowing, but you're helping the person to find it within themselves. Like you're just giving them tools that they can use and you're trying to guide them and help them use these tools, skill sets, um, develop these practices in order to fully utilize this, what they have. Okay. Well, maybe for, for people who don't know what the strength and conditioning coach is, or maybe just tell us what that is. Um, so a strength and conditioning coach is the person responsible for developing the mostly general physical attributes for an athlete participating in a sport. So if you are a rugby player, the SNC coach is the person who does the gym work, the fitness. Um, and now in modern day sport, it's also like managing training loads. So seeing how much the athletes or group of athletes are training and managing that so that we can kind of have optimal performance or minimizing injury and just kind of developing that peak level of performance and working towards your, the targets for the team or the competition. Okay. And, and why, why do you do this? What, what made you choose this career path? Um, I Maybe I can even put it another way, Llewellyn. Let me, let me reframe that, that question. What do you love about doing this kind of work? working with athletes um, and getting that, uh, facilitating that performance, as you put it. I like problem solving for one. Okay. So it's, thanks, strength and conditioning, like at its most complex level, it's just, it's problem solving it. You have an athlete with a certain set of attributes and they are working towards a competition and we are trying to figure out what is the best way to reach the highest level of performance with the least amount of risk um, so that the athlete can perform and win. And there's a lot of variables that you have to take into account that make things challenging, but also the fact that there's so many variables, it makes things very interesting. 
um, that's the, the one side of it. The other part of it is just I've always loved training. And so I've been obsessed about training for as long as I can remember from like watching Dragon Ball Z when I was a kid and like you <laughs> see those little training montages in the series which lasts like four weeks long because like five minutes in the showtime passes in like a week. So like that's always been interesting. So just like training in general and like how to improve yourself, get fitter, stronger. I mean, for me, it started out as I was a fairly small kid and I wanted to gain weight and size and then was, well, how do you get bigger? Lift weights. And then, Got into that, um, found the standard bodybuilding magazines and the men's health and did the four sets of 12 and tried to get biceps in three months. Didn't work. Still working on those biceps. <laughs> no gun show um, yet. No. And then it was like that combined with also a martial arts background. And I think martial arts has this constant it's a growth mindset like it's it's inherent in most martial arts it's that you're always striving to improve and you're doing this um it's practices to get better to sharpen up a technique and there's no separation or not a lot of separation between fitness strength and speed and power that's like it's the the sport and the skill or the the skill and the strength is almost the same thing, um, and it's it's different to that that bodybuilding um, mindset of where you're kind of lifting weights for a outside purpose, like an aesthetic goal. It's it's more performance orientated, um, and then this kind of that point of view gels with me, and I think that's why the whole biceps thing never worked out because I never really cared about having big biceps. I just cared about performing. Uh, and as that... Like okay, can, can I interrupt to, you quickly? Yeah? I just want to make sure I got you on, on that. So uh, strength and conditioning coaching is about the performance. So it's not about yeah. looking a certain way physically. That's not why you train. You train because you want to achieve certain goals. Am I with you yes. on that? Okay. Okay. So, um, you kind of get this with lifting weights and like gym culture. Yeah. You get like chains of influence. And I think the biggest influence in lifting weights has been like Arnold Schwarzenegger and that era of bodybuilders. I mean, on, in modern culture, that has been the most popular representation of lifting weights in gym. And that's kind of what we see for the most part up until now where CrossFit is kind of taking over that path. Um, so uh, for the large part, like up until the like early 2000s, like or actually literally now, um, lifting weights has been associated with bodybuilding. Um, and then in strength and conditioning, the lifting weights has been more associated with powerlifting and weightlifting, so your strength sports, and then bodybuilding kind of like influence in there. So it's like, what's the best way to build muscle? It's bodybuilding, but with the caveat of 
you need to build muscle in order to perform a task with bodybuilding's purposes you build muscle to look a certain way uh-huh. um and it goes kind of goes like all the way back to like old time strongman where it was a contest of performing a feat of strength or so being able to do something astounding about like lifting a weight but also how you look was part of it so there wasn't really like the separation between um bodybuilding and weightlifting it was one thing um or two parts of one thing and then it kind of separated you got your people who were interested in bodybuilding your people who were interested in lifting weights and the kind of like the path separated and most popular culture of, of weight training is now bodybuilding and where your sport area is more gym is a tool to achieve on the field of play yeah. so we have to keep that in mind and i think it's it's easy to fall into a trap of so is that the difference between a personal trainer um, which is about looking a certain way and and strength and conditioning which is about performance yes okay um yeah yeah so, so you mentioned you also mentioned growth mindset, Llewellyn. What, what do you mean by that? So, um, if you, there's a book by Angela Duckworth called Grit, and it talks a lot about having a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And um, a fixed mindset is you believe you have an ability. So, um, you almost feel like that, that skill set is innate to you. Like you are good at math. Um, and if you're not good at something, then you're just not good at that and you won't ever become good at that. Like your mindset in terms of that is fixed. Where growth mindset is more kind of focused on, say, if you are not good at math, it's not that um, you attach yourself to that. It's a skill set that you can improve at. So there's, there's growth within that. And I'm, kind of oversimplifying and butchering the book a little bit. It's definitely a worthwhile read. But I mean, that sounds like like a mindset from Carol Dweck. Are they kind of similar? Uh, yes. I am confusing books, yes. It is the uh, Carol Dweck book, but they talk about it in grit as well. Uh, um, I've read mindset. Yeah, but, okay. Got you. Um but after reading those books, I realized uh, I kind of like you take this reflective look at like things that you did. And like with martial arts, it's always this you are striving to improve something, a skill or a skill set. But it's not that you are just like you're good at this and you're bad at this. Like there's um, like in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you can't be bad at defending a choke because then you're just never going to be good at jujitsu. It's a skill set. And so you can work on it. Like what's the components of developing defense and you can work on these little components and string them together. And over time you'll develop it. You'll grow into the skill set. And that's kind of, that's inherent in like the belt process of like your promotion from white belt up through the ranks. Um, and so it's this growth mindset is kind of like the thread that's in martial arts. And it, it's a, 
system or way of thinking that kind of like that broadly applies to a lot of things. Meaning that the belief that you can actually improve a skill instead of the, the mindset, fixed mindset where you have it or you don't. Yeah. Um, I think the things that you can learn from doing a martial art is, is very applicable to like a lot of things in life. Like you learn to transfer skills. Like I've realized like a lot of times, like things that we've learned in training in martial arts that didn't make sense when we were doing it. Like now 10 years after doing it, I'm like, Oh, that's what he meant. That makes so much sense. If only like 22 year old me made sense of that. Um, I mean, it's like this, it's this path and skill and it, it's almost all encompassing. Um, and as growth mindset is a, a massive part of it. Okay. So you obviously work quite closely with, with athletes because you are right yeah. there training them to be able to either perform a certain, um, uh, or yeah, ex perform on the field or help them in their recovery process. Am I right? Is that also part of strength and conditioning? How do you recover from an injury and how do you help players do that? Or athletes do So that? the recovery from the injury, it, it's, uh, depending on the injury, it's a process or it's always a process, but depending on the injury, the duration and how the process operate changes. Um, so it starts with your medical professionals, your doctors, your physios, and then goes into your biokineticist. But at, during all of this, the, the rest of the body is still there. So the, the athlete still needs to train. So the other part of my role is working around the injury. So mm. how can we still operate at, as close to the level as we did when the athlete was healthy and fully functioning and training normally? What can we do around the injury? Um, I think one, because athletes are resources. They used to operating at a certain level of intensity, at a certain work rate, and now when you're injured, this drops off and it affects your state of mind and all of these things. So how can we stay as close to the normal that we've had um, and keep that training process running can, and then what are the workarounds that we can do and what are the things that we can improve? Like, how can we take advantage of the situation? So it, yes, it's a negative that the athlete's injured, but what's the positive that we can take from it? So it means you are not on field. So we can work on, if it's a lower body injury, we can work on certain upper body strength elements. We can, um, if you have issues with your shoulders we can work on improving your shoulders like just dedicate time to things that we wouldn't be able to do in a normal season kind of mm -hmm. basically the same mindset that we have in the current condition of covid it's like mm -hmm. what can we use in this situation okay. so working that closely with with athletes and, and and players i know you work with the the sevens team as well um what do you see is like, what makes the difference for athletes who really cope well in terms of the mental strain they take when things go wrong, like an injury and they are not able to, to uh, perform or partake in an event or whatever. 
yeah, when you are that close, you obviously you, you see some stuff. What are some of the things you've noticed that, that really put a strain on an athlete? Um, yes, I just want to, I look a lot like the sevens conditioning coach, but uh, I don't work with the sevens. I've worked with some of the players, like an individual capacity. But to answer the question, I think it's how you perceive the situation is like one of the biggest determining factors of your mindset around the injury and the process. Um, I think there's always this process, like of depending on how severe the injury is, but like what the initially like the loss, so what you've lost by being injured, like the opportunity you've missed out on, or um, what the injury has taken away from you um and i mean it's valid and you have to figure out how to deal with that and you need to take time and process that and i think that's kind of where a good mental coach or sports psychologist comes in to kind of help with those things um and then where where the snc coach or where i see where i can help with that is just reframing the situation so giving the athlete something to focus on i think if when we have something to aim for we direct it and we have purpose and then we know what we're going for i think um injury kind of like throws you off course you you don't know where you are you don't know okay, what do I have to do? Like, what's happening now? I was focused on this. I was working towards this thing. And now there's this wind that blew me completely. Of course, now we have to kind of figure out what's happening. And I think the the sooner you can figure out what's happening and then reframe the context of the situation. I think like everything is perspective. Um, it can be a bad situation or it can be a much worse situation just depending on how you look at it look at it um, can you can you say more about that what do you mean so um can you sh maybe share an example say say a player is injured and cannot you know um perform or miss out on 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 certain events so um, a player gets injured in a build-up to a trial game. So he gets injured and he misses his opportunity to attempt to make a higher team. Um, and, and it's a massive loss. Now you've lost this opportunity and it's not going to... So if it's an age group thing, it's like it's not going to come around again. So now your path to the end goal has changed. Um, mm, but I like in, that. Your path to the end goal has changed. That That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I think with a lot of these like long-term processes, we forget the that it, there's a bigger goal at the end. Because we, it's easy. You, you can't keep things that's so far away in focus all the time so we inherently tend to focus on these shorter term things and also if it's a process that a lot of people are following and there's a very common process that happens 
we tend to focus on that. So if it's schoolboy rugby, for instance, it would be we play for our school, we need to make the Craven Week team, Craven Week, we perform, we get signed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, move through the ranks. Um, but you get the exceptions, those guys that, Billy LaRue, that doesn't play first team for his school, but in the end still makes the national team. Um, yeah, as a World not, Cup medal. Yeah, it's not, he didn't follow the common path to a goal that a lot of people, a lot of other people have strived for, but he got there anyway. So you don't actually have to follow the same path. So you get injured and now you don't make this trial game to make a team. But is that the goal or is that just a checkpoint on the way to the goal? So if we look at what's the bigger goal, so where we are currently, how do we get to that bigger goal within the situation that we are now? So from where we are now, what can we do to get there? And then it's focus on what you can. Um, it's, it's a simple mindset. Like it's, it is what it is. There's, there's things that you can control and things that you can't. Um, I was listening to a podcast uh, with uh, his name is Andy Stump. He's a former Navy SEAL. And he spoke about your circle of concern and your circle of influence. So it's two circles. Your, the bigger circle is the circle of concern. And inside of that is your circle of influence. And you can be, you're concerned about a lot of things. But of all those things that you are concerned about, how many of them can you influence? Mm. So we expend all this energy, like worrying, like being concerned about all of these things. But of all of those things, what do we have an influence on? So let's focus on those. And yeah. actually sometimes taking a step back and looking at, okay, this is the situation. It sucks. But what can I do? What can I focus on? What do I have a, what can I have an effect on that will change the outcome of the situation in the long term? How do I get to that bigger, longer term goal another way? What's the work around the current situation? That's yeah, that actually, um, uh, Stephen Covey writes about that in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the circle of concern, circle of influence. Mm. Um, so how do we actually increase our influence? So when we have got a situation, we, we had a pathway to a goal. And like I said, I like the way you put it, that the path has changed. It's not like you can't get there anymore. It's changed. Mm. So the sooner you accept the change and adapt to it, the more you can actually put your focus on where you have influence. So what are some of the, the ways that we can actually increase our influence? Increase that circle of influence. I've never really thought about it as like as increasing the circle of influence. Um, it's more about focusing on, on, on the circle. Yeah, I've seen it more as like focusing in, so becoming a little bit more laser-like. So kind of okay. and just like converging and like if we focus on these key things and not waste energy on things that we can't focus on, can't control. Um, 
uh, then we maximize these things that we can influence. And I think maybe it's through maximizing those things that we can influence, like, then it starts to expand. Like because we've, um, we've, and let's go to the sport example, um, athlete is injured and they, they can't train at full speed, but maybe they can do um, more like aerobic based work, just like base fitness and with it, you can find breathing work. So it's something that we can do. It's fairly simple. We can learn to more efficiently use our respiratory system. So now we can do focus on nasal breathing, which is going to one, help our stress levels, um, improve our aerobic response. It will improve our recovery. So when you have like these high intensity bursts, being able to come back to that base level again, um, it's something that we have an influence over that's going to help other things later. Um, mm -hmm. And that may be how you kind of expand that circle of influence. Uh -huh. I suppose as the situation progresses, you have more influence over things that are happening. Mm -hmm. Where I think if we don't focus on things that we can influence, we kind of stay in the same place, in the same rut. And then the circle of concern grows and the influence stays the same. Yeah, and the, the energy is wasted, right? So if you focus your energy on the circle of concern, but the things that are outside of your influence, all that time and energy is wasted because it's got no effect. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, I've, working with players as well on the mental side, I've seen that happen. Focusing on the coach's choice of a team. Um, and obsessing about that instead of focusing on where they actually have influence, like training, um, developing skills, improving a skill set that's not quite on par yet. I've seen players not focus on that instead focusing on and blaming, you know, no influence, but they're still focusing on that. I think like, those things are easy. Like, it's easy to be negative. It's easy to be a victim. It's easy for the world and everybody to be against you. But it's hard to say, this is my fault. Like to put things on yourself and say, I could have done better here. That's um, like this looking at your own faults or looking at things that you struggle with and you need to look at, I mean, everybody struggles with it. Um, I think those things are difficult. I think the, the thing that's going to drive the needle forward in the right direction is the answers are usually fairly simple. It's just difficult to do. Mm. Um, it's, like getting stronger is not hard. Getting stronger is move a little bit more weight than you did previously in good compound movements over time. It's like squat three times a week for 10 years and you'll be strong. It's a very simple process. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. Like strength is not built overnight. Mm. It, it's a long process and I mean 
becoming a bit off track. Like you have to love the process. So the process has to be enjoyable. Like you have to focus on the process and then the outcome happens. Um, oh, I like that. Talk about that a bit, focusing on the process. So you, um, I want to, I want to link it to what you've been saying. So, uh, these things are simple, but, but hard instead of going the easy way, which is blaming and focusing on things you can't influence. But what do you mean by focusing on the process? Um, so I think like you get, you get process driven people and you get outcome driven people. And like, I think both work towards a goal and they, let me go for the side for, I'm going to geek out a little bit on anime here. But yes. there's an anime series called Dragon Ball Z. Yes. And the two main characters, Goku and Vegeta, are like, they're always striving to become stronger to meet the situation. Like, there's a new evil villain, and they need to fight this villain, so they need to get stronger and level up and to be able to like, fight off the bad forces. So, where there's this evil and Goku has to train to reach this outcome. He trains hard, follows the process and then has the fight. And then after like four years of episodes, he eventually beats the guy where Vegeta, he trains for the same thing, but he's also constantly comparing himself to Goku. So like, why is he not as strong as Goku? Why is he taking so long to reach this process? And it's so much about like, kind of in the storyline, it's like the first part is kind of like reaching Super Saiyan and where Goku did it because he was, he needed to meet something higher. So he needed to get stronger to fight somebody who was way stronger than him. And then in this process, he kind of ascended to this level of Super Saiyan and Vegeta's focus was just trying to get to Super Saiyan because it was his birthright or like what was meant for him. And in the storyline, you can see the differences between a growth and a fixed mindset between the two. You can see the difference between process-driven and outcome-driven. And you can see somebody who enjoys the actual process of doing the work. Even though the work is hard and they're suffering and it's challenges, they enjoy what they're doing versus somebody who's doing all of these things that they don't like to do, that put themselves in this place of suffering, this challenge, just for the outcome. And I mean, in the storyline, they hit the outcome, but what happens if they don't? I mean, in the storyline, they that character is never as strong as Goku. And if you look at it, and it's a weird thing with like a lot of Japanese like anime series, you find a lot of parallels like that. You'll have two characters in the storyline following the same kind of story arc and process and it kind of goes into this whole Joseph Campbell's hero's journey which is another interesting thing mm-hmm. but it's it's about just finding enjoyment in what you're doing so like training training can be hard but things that are difficult doesn't necessarily have to be bad you can suffer but in training and hate it in the moment but that joy that it brings you afterwards um i was listening to a podcast a hunting podcast with steven Renella, and he talks about you get excuse me you get two types of fun 
you get like fun that's in the moment, like going on an amusement park ride, like you're at the park, you're enjoying that. Or you get these things like you go on a trip and you're hiking and it's cold and it's raining, but you with your friends and you're like in this awesome surroundings, but it's like the weather's miserable and it's cold and your socks are wet and just like, it's not a fun time. But afterwards, like every time you get together with those friends, you have the stories, you think back on like what you did, like the funny little moments in between all of the suffering, like that's, it's an experience that brings you happiness afterwards. Like in the moment, it wasn't great, but for years and years afterwards, you have these, this moment that you've kind of spent with friends. Like whenever you see those friends, you remember that it's like, it's always the stories. Like I mean, our stories like that with my friends and it's, it's that, I think that kind of separation, like one well of separation, but that difference between like training where it's difficult, but you enjoy it. And like enjoyment can be the people that you do it with, um, like what you are training for, what you focus on while you do these things. Um, like it's a, it's a very complex process. And I think finding joy in the process is different for everybody. Um, it's just about you finding your joy in your process. Uh, people also seem to lose momentum and motivation when they only focus on the outcome. So you said outcome focused and process focused because yeah. there's no joy until you reach the goal. And if you don't reach yeah. the goal, I mean, there's absolutely no joy, but mm. if you focus on the outcome only the whole journey towards the outcome is suffering. And then yeah. the reward is actually diminished once you reach that goal. But if you take it the other way, like you described now, enjoying the process, and seeing the process of, as as the goal, staying in the process as the goal, I mean, then you you are rewarded the whole time through. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stories or parables that kind of that feature this idea and this uh, like this concept of like process versus like outcome and like if you so outcome focus then even if you do reach the goal then it's like then what's next mm. then you have to set another goal and then it's going to like work towards that but then i think life is the thing that happens in between goals or like the checkpoints that we set ourselves so if all we focused on is i need to reach this goal and then now i've gotten this now this is the next goal you get so caught up in just like doing the work getting to this thing like what have you done in between like have you enjoyed the process like if you look back was it worth it yeah. um so i think like yeah, yeah it's more than everything i think yeah, it makes complete sense to me. So I, I sometimes I hear people um, saying things like, you know, I'm working hard now. So I'm putting in all the extra hours and the overtime and all of that, because once I get that goal, then I'll be able to relax and, and, and slow down and spend time with the family and so, so on. But um, once they get there, it's just what's next. It's like they've developed a certain lifestyle and mindset on their way to the goal and if uh, it seems to me that um if we don't do that consciously you know 
understand that you are developing a certain mindset in the process of reaching the goal, you just continue that mindset even after reaching the goal. Yeah, I think like, especially, I think for people like, for high achieving people, or people who are like very driven or you just kind of get like caught up in the momentum of what they're doing. I think it's, it's easy to do that. And I find myself doing that sometimes with things like you just kind of get caught up in this go, go, go. So like, I'm mm. doing this now. Like I need to do this. This is the next thing. Like you have this project list of all these things that you want to do and complete. And you just kind of like going, going and you're just feeding off momentum. And then, but if there's something that forces you to stop or you happen to stop and you realize like, yeah, I've missed out on these things. And it's like, for no particularly valid reason outside of just that I've been telling myself the story that I need to do this. And then once this is done, I can stop and I'll be able to rest in. And I mean, I think there is time for sprints like that in a task or in like in working towards something, but you have to have something or someone or a practice that keeps things in perspective. Mm -hmm. um, like, I've read it a bit like in uh, I think it's the a book about or Seneca um, I think it's, it's called On the Shortness of Life and he talks about these like um, practices like these stoic practices and like meditating on your death and those things like mm -hmm. I was I think about it if if you are this driven person and you and you tell yourself the story of I'll be able to rest, I'll be able to spend time with the family once I finish this. It's like, what if you die tomorrow? <laughs> it's like that's not there. Like you don't you don't get to spend time with family. You don't you don't get that story that you tell yourself. So it's like if I'm not doing everything I can to maximize my whole life is, is this picture worth it. And maybe it is worth it for you, but um, like, I, th I think it's, it's important to like have those things in perspective and maybe you do have to do that. I mean, like Elon Musk does have to work 14 hour days and sleep on a couch at Tesla to do what Elon Musk does. Um, but does things fit into his perspective of the world, perspective of how he operates in the world? I suppose it does. Um, but if you, like, if you are happy to say that you just kind of, uh, more it's more likely like the scenario in like a business context so if you are working these long business hours and um putting in all of this time and so that and you tell yourself so that later i'll have time like like just having this thing that helps you reevaluate what you're doing in your process is a good thing um yeah just mm. having a, a perspective giver it makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so books sometimes can do that for us, change our perspective and, and give us a bit of clarity. So you've mentioned grit um, by mistake, <laughs> but also mindset. Um, 
and now yeah. you're talking about Seneca on the shortness of life. What other books or authors uh, or, or you know other people have influenced you in your path, and uh, you look for for changing your perspective or giving you clarity on, on actually what's important? Um, if if I could give away a book to everybody, I'd give them The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Oh, yeah. Um, I think every, every school, like every kid graduating like high school or like who's in high school, even before that, should read the book. Um, I don't know if you'd kind of get the book when you're in high school, but I read that book in my final, in my honors year at university. And I was pissed off that I only read the book then <laughs> because it made sense of how I learned things. Like, yeah. I, if you I maybe did for this people book, who don't know who he is, sorry to interrupt you, Luan. Just give a <laughs> like a short idea who he is. Um, um, so, so Josh Waitzkin is the movie Searching for Bobby Fisher. He's the boy, is the chess prodigy. Um, and Searching Bobby Fisher was actually written by his dad. And then later, he wrote this book, The Art of Learning. And it starts with his journey in chess and how he learned the game and how he was exposed to it. And then how he kind of transferred that into learning Tai Chi and competing in Tai Chi Pushans. And then also later into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Um, and I found out about the book because of um, training in jiu-jitsu. And then I did a bit more into it. And then I was, yeah, I was pissed off. I was studying. And then I was like, oh, this could have been so much easier. Because I cannot sit at a desk and learn. Um, my mind generally thrives in a little bit of chaos. So I'm the person that's walking up and down the library. and kind of going through things and I'd be studying and I would have no clue what's going on but I, I know like in a couple of days I'll know what's going on it's it's gonna happen it's just I don't know exactly how but it happens so I just kind of do what feels makes sense um and then in reading this book I was like clicking like oh so this is actually how I operate and I found like examples of like when I did certain things and like when I studied a certain way I did really well in a test or when I was learning a skill, when I did it, uh, when there were certain like patterns that were there, that's when it happened best. When I tried to do it another way, like a more structured or like a little bit more of a rigid way, then I really struggled or I lost interest or um, I didn't um, pick up the skill as well. And I, like that book has been a game changer and so what are some of the principles that uh, that he explores in the book and another book so he he oh let me say things that stand out to me yes um with the chess game he started learning at the end game so when there were less pieces on the board so starting at that end game where it's like close to the end and then kind of scaling back towards the start where there's more pieces, more chaos uh, and seeing the picture like that. So like seeing that end point and working back towards the start in a way where 
by comparison, like most of his peers at that age group, they were taught opening moves. So like how to win the game, like with these big openers. Um, and for him, it was like, if he could make it past that opening sequence, when the board opened up, that's when he really had the advantage. Mm. Um, so seeing that end picture and like understanding like the steps starting with like steps towards from that end picture and working backwards is uh is something that kind of stuck with me like kind of i like to look at something and then deconstruct it so look at like the end product or like what are we like in strength conditioning like what are the what is the movement that we're trying to improve um so we deconstruct it look at these sub skill sets what are the little areas that we can improve on and then build back towards the complex skill or like learning a subject um what is the end subject and then kind of like what's the little sub areas that we can focus on and then kind of diving deeper into that um and then another chapter it was talking about flow state and trying to create a flow state so knowing these moments when you experienced when you were in flow and then creating triggers to recreate it can you just um, explain what flow state is um so I, I would recommend just listening to anything that stephen kotler says about flow i mm. will my simple version of it is just kind of when everything clicks when things feel effortless like you sit down to read something and like all of a sudden it feels like it was 20 minutes and it's been four hours mm. um when you are doing a sports skill like i've i found it with rock climbing where you i always got it like after falling the first time because you like you climb and you are attached to it open you panic and you panic and then you do something and then you fall and then once you fall you're like okay cool the rope caught me and there is still like this degree of fear but it's not as much as it was before because you know the rope is there and you just relaxed and you there's no tension there's no resistance within yourself to do certain things and it's also there's no patterns there's just like how you climb this thing and move is there and you just kind of like you in the moment you focused on the thing the situation whatever's unfolding in front of you and you are utterly present um and so yeah that's flow state so in the book he talks about creating a ritual to recreate to or to create a flow state and just kind of like recreate it and you're building uh you're building a trigger for it and it starts with like a very complex process like the example he gives in the book is a very like long process and then it gets condensed 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 over time until it's a mental trigger like a switch that you flip um, so kind of learning how to trigger that flow state yeah yeah um that was the that was one those are the two big takeaways. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from the book was just realizing that it's it's figuring out like how you do things. 
Um, and I, I think, like we said, with the with reaching common goals, that goals that are that are common among people, um, there's like this common best not best practice but the, a common practice that everybody follows like say for instance with studying everybody they are typical boss everybody sits at the desk with highlighters and like does that thing yeah. um, uh, it's not everybody that needs to walk around but maybe there's a lot more people that needs to move and learn but it's just it's not something that you're told it's not a common Process. It's not a study method that you uh, learn. Yeah, that you get taught. And so, like the biggest takeaway from that book I got was, um, just uh, like that process of self-discovery, like learning how you learn, um, mm. has been a great, like that's uh, been one of the great influences in that book. Mm. Learning um, how you learn, understanding your way of learning things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, another book that kind of ties in with that is Mastery by Robert Greene. Mm. Um, it's an awesome book. For any of his books, you, if you're going to read his books, read all of them. Yeah. Um, but Mastery is a really good book to read. Um, I like how he presents the principle and like gives a story that reinforces or presents the principle. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. He's quite an intense guy. <laughs> he is. Yeah. So, um, I'm actually like making my way through his latest book, The Laws of Human Nature. Oh yeah. Um, it's a very heavy read, but very interesting book. Yeah. Oh. Um, I'm assuming you you read Becoming Superhuman by by Stephen Kotler as well. I actually have not. Oh, okay. Um, You'll enjoy it definitely. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Rise of Superman is on the book list. Yeah, Rise of Superman. Thank you. That's the name. What stood out for me in, in, in that book is uh, how uh, extreme athletes actually go into that flow state quicker because of the high stakes. So that, that kind of causes them to be able to go into the flow state because they are kind of forced because because of the high risk to to focus more to be more present in in the moment but anyway when you when you get around to reading the rise of superman i'm sure you'll enjoy it i, I was telling you about stephen Kotler. i don't know which part you you got oh um so i've listened to a lot of podcasts with him um and a lot of a lot of people who I know have read his book, The Rise of Superman, recommended. Yeah. So it is on the reading list. Uh, it's just, a, it got bumped a few spots by some other books. Yeah, no, he's, it's quite fascinating what he explores in terms of uh, um, extreme sports. I also read Stealing mm. Fire. Yeah. Uh, how people get into the peak state using all kind of kinds of different methods and stimulants and drugs and whatever. So it's a, it's an inter interesting avenue to explore, but mm. keep it on your list for when you Definitely. get there. <laughs> okay. So <clears throat> where can, if people want to reach you and contact you, Llewellyn, how do they go about 
the bat? Um, where, you, where can they follow you or see what you're up to? Uh, I th- probably just Instagram um, at Llewellyn M Performance. Right. Um, yeah, and just search Llewellyn Morkel on Instagram and you'll find my account there. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where I put most things out. Um, I've kind of stepped back from sharing a lot of content lately or for the last while. Um, but I'll get back into it. It's kind of been more of a learning, researching phase. And now I'll just start documenting and sharing a bit more. Okay. And and any any um, perspective that you want to share to um, athletes or people um, trying to, to get to that next level? As someone um, that's worked so close with so many athletes over many years. I include myself in that elite group of, uh, of athletes, of course. Oh, as soon as Dutch rugby makes it into the Olympics, <laughs> I'm going to be in the team. <laughs> um, I think for athletes wanting to reach the next level, it is. There's a few things I think it's find find mentors or. Better put, there was a um, mixed martial artist called Frank Shamrock, and he speaks about this plus, minus, and equal. Um, find mm. somebody who is your equal, so somebody who's at the same level as you, working towards basically the same goal that you can kind of work with and compare and compare yourself to in some instances, but more that you can work with. Mm. Um, a minus or somebody who's at a lower level than you that you can mentor and bring up because I think in teaching or showing skills you refine your thought process or your skills your thinking around that skill set um, and then find that plus so that person who's at that step above you or that few steps above you that guides your process so um, I love that. Plus, minus, and equal. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an important thing. It's also, once again, a thing that's inherent to a lot of martial arts. Um, and I think more sports could benefit from operating like that mm-hmm. um, with that mindset. And I think general message is like just try and find the opportunity in every situation. Good, good, and bad. Yeah. Mm, got you. So last question, very last question, really this time. What, what do you feel is like your superpower? What do you bring to the world that you feel is unique to you? Um, remembering arbitrary facts. <laughs> um, <laughs> and your beard. <laughs> uh, my beard is, there's people with a lot more powerful beards than mine. Um, <laughs> I think my superpower is the same as everyone else's. I think the only the only difference maybe is that I've started to embrace mine a little bit more. I've put together my different interests and connected the dots. So um, 
the interest in outdoors, martial arts, strength and conditioning, cars, physics, Dragon Ball Z. all of these Dragon Ball Z anime movies, um, all of these seemingly different things, just looking at like not where they're different, where they're similar. Um, mm. Like, what is so awesome about Dave Grohl playing all of these instruments? Like, um, and how does that apply to um, a sport? Like, mm. how does Dave Grohl playing a guitar compared to a samurai with a sword. And it's, I'll summarize everything with a quote by Miyamoto Musashi. Um, he wrote the book, The Book of Five Rings. And he was a samurai who fought in, I think, 60 duels and never lost. And in his book, there's a quote where it says, know the way broadly and see it in all things. Mm. And think that's what I try and do. Very cool. See the connection between everything. Love it. Now, and, and, and having had the privilege to get to know you when uh, we worked together at SAS and so forth, and, and also working on um, my speed work, <laughs> uh, I definitely can confirm that that is your superpower, being able to connect many things. And that's what I found so interesting in talking to you. And why I wanted to uh, have you on the podcast is you are interested in many different things, but you are able to link them all back to what you're actually trying to do, whether it's working with athletes or in your own life and, and where you're heading. So yeah, it's been great having you, Luana. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. Well, maybe we'll do it again. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. And, and remember, if you change your perspective, you can transform your life. See you next time.